Hello there. My name is Jamin Melanson, and welcome to my podcast entitled Reclaimed. Over the next several weeks, you will learn about how I have been reclaimed by God, and still am being reclaimed. My hope, however, is not that you will only learn about me, but you'll also learn about yourself. I'll be using personal stories and biblical stories to relate different truths about being reclaimed as we focus on learning humility, integrity, loyalty, and tranquility in our walk with Jesus. So grab your favorite beverage, something to munch on, and join me as we embark on this journey of being reclaimed. Part 3. Reclaimed with Loyalty Nothing is more noble, nothing more venerable than loyalty. Marcus Tullius Cicero Chapter 10. A Godly Spouse There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. Martin Luther He was an outcast for his beliefs. In all of Europe, he was scorned for challenging the ruling authority of the Catholic Church. But that didn't stop Martin Luther from pursuing the call in his life to bring people back to the truth of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther became famous, or infamous, for being one of the leading proponents of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. After he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, he spent his time in hiding and dedicated his time to translating the New Testament into the German language so the common folk could read the Bible on their own. Now there were some in the Catholic Church who agreed with Luther's reforms, one of which was a certain young lady named Katarina von Bora a Cisterian nun, and in an act of courage, she reached out to Luther and begged him to help her and eleven other nuns to escape from their monastery. They escaped by hiding in fish barrels on April 4th, 1523. Talk about a fishy first impression. I don't want to think about how long it took to get that smell out. Two years later, Martin and Katarina were wed. He was 41 and she was 26, and if the age gap offends you or makes you uncomfortable, I challenge you to question why that may be. Remember, this is a different time, a different culture, and to be perfectly honest, in this instance, there really wasn't anything wrong with it. They loved each other and they gave birth to six children and supported each other in their different undertakings. Luther did not see himself as more important than Katarina and often consulted her on matters of the church and even invited her to participate in spiritual discussions. Katarina also wore many hats. She took care of the estate, she ran a brewery, she raised farm animals, took care of the gardens, cared for the ill in town, and so much more. Now it's believed that Martin originally thought he'd never marry. The romantic love may not have even been present at the beginning of their marriage, but over time it blossomed and grew. In 1531, Luther is recorded as saying, I wouldn't give up my Katie for France or for Venice. He also had many nicknames for his wife. He called her My Rib, in reference to the creation story from Genesis. He also called her My Lord Katie, in reference to how she ran the household, and the morning star of Wittenberg, because she was typically up early in the morning, kind of like my wife. At the same time, he sometimes called her My Kete, 
which translates to chain. And I'm sure she absolutely adored that nickname. Together, the two of them were a spiritual force to be reckoned with. They were like a superhero couple in a time when many, not many existed. They didn't hoard their power over the other. They worked together as a couple in their marriage. They were each a godly spouse, which means they honored God in each other with their actions. And because of this, in turn, they were reclaimed by loyalty to one another. This information about Luther and Katarina was taken from a website called Women of the ELCA, and I will provide that, um, that link in the description below. A sensible and beautiful woman. I want to jump into a Bible story about a woman named Abigail. Now, a small confession here, and I don't know if this is weird or not, which typically means it is weird, but I had a small crush on Abigail growing up. Don't judge me, though. I'm sure you had a crush on a biblical character at some point. But we're first introduced to Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. She is the wife of a man named Nabal who lived in the wilderness of Maon near the town of Carmel. He was a wealthy man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Signs of wealth have certainly changed since then. Like, where are my goats nowadays? Anyways, according to the passage, Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman, while Nabal was crude and mean in his dealings. The Hebrew word for sensible means prudent, insightful, and understanding. She was also a godly woman. On the other hand, crude for Nabal means severe, cruel, and obstinate while being a deceitful businessman. This contrast is important for the story. We have a godly wife based on her being sensible and God-honoring, not because she was simply beautiful, and a not-so-godly husband. A little side note, Nabal is called a descendant of Caleb, who is Joshua's close friend who spied out the land. We're told in Numbers 14.24 that Caleb was a man with a different spirit, one who was loyal to God. Other versions tell us that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly, also found in Joshua 14, 6-15. And Nabal, as a descendant of Caleb, rejected the legacy of his ancestor. He was not loyal as Caleb was. Now at this point in Israelite history, Samuel the prophet had passed away and David was still on the run from King Saul. David moved to the area near Nabal and Abigail and sent messengers. It was sheep shearing time, which was a time of celebration in ancient Israel. David wanted a time or a little rest for his men after weeks of running from King Saul's army. Since David and his men protected Nabal's shepherds when they were out in the wilderness, the future king expected a warm welcome, and he did not receive one. Instead, Nabal, as to his nature, rejected the request. In fact, he blatantly insulted David. He called them all outlaws and suggested David was like a slave running away from his master. He said, who is this David? suggesting he didn't care about him being the next king. Nabal wanted no part in sharing with these renegades, even if they did protect his shepherds. Now when the messengers returned to David, he was furious, and rightly so. He quickly told 400 of his men to get their swords, and they started marching towards Nabal's house. Not one of David's brightest moments. David was overreacting. Thankfully, Nabal was not the only character in the story, or else David may have done something he instantly regretted. Abigail heard about the interaction between David's men and her husband, 
She didn't hesitate. She didn't go to her husband for permission either. She was a sensible woman after all. She acted. Abigail knew if she didn't, then they were all doomed. She also knew David loved God, and so she prepared a response to help reclaim David with loyalty. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread. Now, oh man, I love bread. Nice, homemade, warm bread with a spread of butter, maybe some honey or jam or peanut butter. Oh, so good. All those weight loss programs like, don't eat bread. I'm like, I don't care. I'll keep the 10 extra pounds because bread is yummy. And so she was bringing 200 loaves of bread. Man, I would have been fully excited. I would have just accepted that, but she brought more. Two wineskins full of wine, five slaughtered sheep, a bushel, which is roughly 36.5 liters of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. This just goes to show how rich of a man Nabal was. And notice the Bible says she quickly gathered all of this. She didn't have to spend time, like three days preparing and cooking. It was already done. And not telling her husband, for he likely would have stopped her, what she was doing, Abigail mounted a donkey and rode out to meet David and his men. She met, met them in a mountain ravine coming towards her with weapons. Abigail dismounted her donkey and ran forward to David. She bowed low to the ground, not because she was a woman and he was a man, but because she was seeking forgiveness on behalf of her husband. This was an act of strength and humility by Abigail. I accept all the blame in this matter, my lord, were the words she told David. Later she added, when the Lord has done all he has promised and made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Bam! Literally reclaiming David with loyalty by her words. So good. Now there's two things of note here. One, Abigail was doing her best to stop David from committing a sin. If he killed them all, he'd have to live with that for the rest of his life. Two, Abigail pointed everything back to God. When the Lord has done, was used by her to remind David who was really in control and who should be fighting his battles and who David needs to remain loyal to. Abigail was also demonstrating loyalty to David, a man she just met. None of his soldiers spoke up to warn David of this wrongdoing. Maybe they were afraid to say something Remember though, loyalty means to stand by someone in the good and bad times. And this was a bad time for David. And his men should have opened their mouths. But they didn't. David was awakened to his potential sin by Abigail. He was being reclaimed with loyalty through the actions of a godly woman. He responded by saying, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. He then accepted the gift and returned to his camp, while Abigail returned home. When she arrived, Nabal was in the midst of a giant party. He was drunk, so she kept to herself. And the next morning, she told him everything. As a result, he had a stroke and was paralyzed in bed for ten days until he finally died. Instead of David taking vengeance and sinning, God intervened and fought the battle for David. Now some people may have an issue with this, and I can understand to an extent why. However, I want to say one thing. This instance goes to show the importance of our words and our actions. Nabal was cruel and mean to his men, and likely to his wife. Though this is implied implicitly, not explicitly. He insulted David, who was God's anointed, and he paid the price. 
So be careful what you say and who you say it about, because we will all be held accountable. And after Nabal's death, David remembered the actions of Abigail. He sent for her, and they were married. David knew a godly woman when he saw one, and Abigail was one far above the rest. A Sensible and Beautiful Woman, Part 2 My wife, Naomi, and I grew up together in the same church. Our story is actually pretty crazy looking back at it. She's three years younger than me, and so as a teenager, I didn't pay much attention to her. We were friends, and though she wanted more, I wasn't willing to give it until I finally realized what I was missing out on. And that was after I already tried to push two of my best friends on her. Like I said, it's pretty crazy. Anyways, I'm not going to share the whole story here. Maybe some other time I'll tell you about it. could write an entire book about it, actually. But what's important is was... In the summer of 2013, she was home from college and I was running a young adult ministry at our church. And she made snacks every week and boy, were they yummy. And one of my best friends, one of them who I tried to push off on her, uh, told me that if I didn't ask her out, he was going to. He was kidding, of course, at least I think he was. But after contemplating it and talking it over with my friends and also praying about it, I took the plunge and made the move. We were out for a walk after I returned from visiting my friend Tim in Kentucky and at one point she was slightly in front of me and I was struggling with finding the right words so I did what I thought was best. I reached out, pulled her back and without any words I kissed her. I imagine like one of those scenes from a movie where the music is slowly building up and then it reaches a perfect crescendo like it was that good. At least that's what I thought. Anyways, we were married on May 17th, 2014. I was already pastoring in Maine and she joined me in the summer before returning to university in the fall. To save money, we lived with my sister and her husband for the first year. Then we moved into our first apartment a year later. We adopted two cats and continued to grow as a husband and wife. This chapter is all about being a godly spouse. And I must say, my wife is pretty lucky to have me. Okay, in all seriousness, I'm the one that's lucky to have her. However, she's not a godly wife because she does everything right. Trust me, she doesn't, nor is she a godly wife because she knows all the answers. Again, she doesn't, and I don't do everything right, and I don't have all the answers either. Naomi is a godly wife because she understands she is still in the process of being reclaimed by God, just as I am in the process of being reclaimed. And we're both in the process of being reclaimed with loyalty towards one another in our marriage. Neither of us think we're better than the other one, except when we play card or board games, and we hold each other's opinion as valuable. We're learning together what it means to truly love ourselves, each other, and God. We are learning loyalty together. We are not perfect by any stretch of the word, but we are pursuing Christ in order to become the best versions of ourselves. Now, I tried to think of a certain situation to share that would perfectly illustrate what I'm trying to communicate. I couldn't think of anything. I even left the computer for a few hours. Nothing. I read this part to Naomi and see if she could help figure it out. That didn't work out either. Finally, I remembered a moment I could use to illustrate being reclaimed by God with loyalty in our marriage. Sorry for the delay. My cat literally just walked over the computer and moved where my mouse was. Figured I'd leave that in there so you could have a nice little laugh. Ah, there we go. During our time in Maine, we 
couldn't cross the border after uh, our R1 visa got expired. And so during that, Naomi and I engaged in a huge fight. And we call them aggressive negotiations, as it's said in Star Wars. But neither one of us remember what the fight was about. It was a Monday morning, and again, like I said, this was during the time we were waiting for my R1 visa to be renewed, and so we were super stressed with everything going on. And the stress boiled over into a fight. I don't remember what was said, I just remember being angry. I left the house steaming mad and drove to work. Naomi stayed at home steaming mad. I don't remember if we talked at all that whole day. Part of me wanted to hold on to the anger and be mad at her, and at different points in the day I remember planning my defense for when I arrived back home, and I'm sure she was doing the same. However, as the day progressed, God worked in my heart. He started to reclaim me with loyalty to my wife. Now, I wish I could remember exactly how he calmed me down, but I don't. He simply brought me to the point where I realized I could keep the fight going but fighting back and defending myself, or I could be humble and act out in love and loyalty towards my wife. Naomi loves garlic fingers, and if you don't know what those are, just imagine pizza dough without any pizza toppings, but instead you have melted cheese with garlic seasoning sprinkled over the entire dough. You can add other toppings, usually we get ours with bacon, and then you dip them into donair sauce, which is a mixture of vinegar, condensed milk, and garlic powder. It's so good. Trust me. Once you have them, you will understand the heavenly taste they produce in your mouth. Now, my describing that doesn't do it justice. You really have to eat them. But there's only one problem. You can't buy them in northern Maine. We could buy them across the border in Perth Handover, but we weren't allowed in Canada while our immigration process was going on. Thankfully, I was good friends with the pastor of the Wesleyan Church over the border. I contacted him with a huge favor. I'm not sure if I told him why or not. Regardless, he brought me some garlic figures and I went home with a box of goodies as a peace offering to my wife. This was very hard for me. I'm a stubborn person. I like to be right. And when I feel like I am right, I don't want to back down. And no, this is not being used to enforce the idea of, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? This is not why I bought the garlic fingers. I bought them because God told me to be loyal to my wife and to serve her, even when we were fighting. For me, this was part of being reclaimed by God. I was following the instructions given by Peter in his first letter. Give honor to your wives. Treat the, your wife with understanding as you live together. I walked into the house and our two cats, Kiara and Hector, met me at the door. I called for Naomi, but she didn't answer. I walked up the stairs, not knowing if she was going to be ignoring me or what was going on. Turned out Naomi was sleeping in our bed, so I placed the garlic fingers beside her and woke her up. Hey, hun, I said. Hi, she replied. I brought something for you, and Naomi's eyes perked. Are, are those garlic fingers? Yep. Naomi then looked at me. This is not fighting fair. And I said, I don't want to fight at all. We then enjoyed our garlic fingers and worked our way through whatever issue reared its ugly head that morning. I want you to notice something here, and this points to how Naomi is a godly wife. She didn't have to receive my peace offering. She made a choice. Either stay mad at me or be reclaimed in loyalty towards me. She chose the latter. Over the years, we've learned how to be loyal to each other through the good and bad times. And we are still learning it. You've heard about some of them at other points in this book, and we don't always do it perfectly. 
Like I said, it's a learning experience. I'm just glad I get to experience it with a beautiful and sensible woman. Respect and love. I mentioned earlier how the Apostle Peter encouraged husbands to give honor to their wives. A couple of verses later, in 1 Peter 3, 8-9, he wrote the following. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Satan and his forces don't want marriages to succeed. Because marriage is a gift from God and Satan hates everything done by God. This is why divorce is so rampant in the church and our culture around us. Satan is fighting hard to make sure marriages are weak and corrupt. He's fighting hard to stop us from being reclaimed with loyalty. So I want you to stop. How are things going in your marriage right now? Be honest. Do you fight more than you talk? Do you even talk? Do you spend time with one another or are you more like roommates than a married couple? Do you support them in the good times or do you tear them down? Do you support them in the hard times or do you neglect them? I've said this before but I want to say it again. They say it takes saying things a few times before it really sticks. Naomi and I don't have a perfect marriage. We don't. Far from it. We are learning. We will always be learning. Remember, we're all in the midst of being reclaimed by God, and that is true in our marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. It doesn't exist, so don't pursue it. However, being in the process of being reclaimed with loyalty is not an excuse to be an ungodly spouse. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians wrote, So again I say, each man doesn't want or, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now this doesn't mean a man doesn't want to be loved or a woman doesn't want to be respected. It points to the fact that a man feels loved when he is respected and a woman feels respected when she is loved. I'm not going to dive too much into this. Emerson Egerich wrote a great book entitled Love and Respect where you can dig more into this subject. I just wanted to use this first to point out how a husband and wife can help reclaim their spouse with loyalty. So husbands, be strong and courageous in your marriage. Love your wife with reckless abandon. She feels honored when you show your love through your actions. Learn what fills her up and do it. Don't be toxic. Be godly. And when you do this, you will help her be reclaimed with loyalty. We're going to be held accountable for the way we loved our wives. Here's something small you can do to help get the ball rolling. And to be perfectly honest, I need to still be better at this. But when you wake up in the morning, look over at your wife and ask this question. How can I best serve her today with my actions and my love? And here's a hint. It's okay to ask her if you need some ideas. And wives, be strong and courageous in your marriage. Respect your husband with your words and your actions. He will feel honored and inspired when you show respect in this way. Learn what fills him up and do it. Don't be toxic, be godly. You're going to be held responsible and accountable for the way you respected your husbands. Here is something small you can do to get the ball rolling. When you wake up in the morning, look over at your husband and ask yourself this question. 
How can I best inspire him today with my words and my respect? And here's a hint. It's okay to ask him if you need some ideas. Thank you for joining me again this week on Reclaimed and digging into a godly spouse. How did God speak to you today? I encourage you to let someone know how he did. If you're married, how's your marriage going? Really spend time with that and talk to your spouse about it. Maybe have them listen to this podcast too and work together on being reclaimed. Because being reclaimed by God only works when we're open with ourselves and with others. And that's especially true in marriage. Don't let Satan get a hold. Don't let him ruin this relationship. And may the Lord be with you this week. I'm looking forward to having you join me next week as we learn about unbreakable bonds. Panay Akmatov, my friends. We will see you soon. Some resources that connect with this chapter that you can look into. Love and Respect by Emerson Agarich. Loveology by John Mark Calmer. In the Meaning of Marriage by Timothy and Kathy Keller.